Welcome to episode 77 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me, as always, are Ian Sharpley. Hello. And Matt Cassell. Hi, guys. It is Spooky Monday the 13th Ooh. of October 2014. <coughs> Someone is battling pneumonia. Is that a ghost? The ghost of pneumonia. <coughs> the ghost of I'm going to be doing I this guess. all night. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But he's here for you, McSauce fans. He Rather, showed up and he's prepared. The discharge information that I got from the doctor on Saturday said two to three days of bed rest. I ignored it completely. I did, I'm sorry, I'm skipping ahead, but I did the Pittsburgh Pod races last night like a true champion. Game planned with us on Saturday. Came from the doctors, from your deathbed. Straight from my pneumonia diagnosis, came to meet my McSauce brethren. Teammates. My, my McSauce teammates, my brothers in arms, who I marched with valiantly to take on the, the nerd cast. The um, Nerd Exchange? The Nerd Exchange. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I game planned against them. And they're... You're they're, right. You're saying they're you, sounded, <laughs> you sounded better last night than you do tonight. I, yeah. to, to game plan for their nerd foolery. And we took that on very, very valiantly, very nobly, and most importantly, very correctly. We'll get there. Tonight is October 13th. We have three weeks of Halloween time left, so tonight we're going to talk a little, have some Halloween-themed stuff, a little female Ghostbusters. Spooky. Spooky pussies. Haunted pussies. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk a little spooky black daredevil costume. Wait, he's black now? About fucking time. Oh, costume. You said costume. Shit. We said daredevil, not daredevil. Oh! Shit! Brother Matt! Now we're going to talk a little Halloween dealy chili, which I've been reading towards the end. But first, let's throw it over to the leader of McSauce, (laughs) Ian Sharpley. The Optimus Prime of the McSauce machine. As you know, you can go to McSauce.com. To see the, the web comics, the reviews that we post each week on the comic books that we read and love, because we're extremely knowledgeable on comic books and everything surrounding them, be it animation, movies, video games, merchandising, or you know whatever, or else. even an X Factor. You can go to the Facebook page and contact us as well. Find the podcast at on iTunes, Podomatic. Stitcher Radio. Now, um, I raced through our portion of um, housekeeping today because we had the Pittsburgh pod races yesterday where we faced off against aforementioned Nerd Exchange of Western Pennsylvania and we had a debate-styled debate live podcast where we pitted... Marvel against DC. Uh, we took DC's side of things. I'd like to go out there and thank Chad Ellis of Hack Pittsburgh for allowing us to use their space. You can find them at hackpittsburgh.org. 
on October 18th at 9 p.m. They'll be celebrating their fifth anniversary. So if you'd like to, go down to Hack Pittsburgh and check out some of the things that they'll be doing down there. We'd also like to thank the Nerd Exchange. Julia, Dina, Kyle, and Tim from the Nerd Exchange for facing off against us in a classy debate-style podcast. You can find the Nerd Exchange on Stitcher Radio. You can tweet them at Nerd Exchange on Twitter. Um, Kyle also has a uh, blog, Chithutube. Go to chithutube.blogspot and you can check his stuff out. Uh, we had a moderator there, Sean McGrath of geekerie.com or .org. He's promoting literacy through comic books. Has a lot of interesting things there. So geekerie.org, where you can find our moderators. Geek Erie, like Erie, as, as in yeah, Geek Erie, as in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, and we'll be posting all these links on our site. By the time that you hear this, you'll have already heard the Pittsburgh Pod races and have decided on the victor of said Pod races because we'll be posting those um, after we do our podcast tonight. So even before you hear us talk tonight, you'll be able to take a look and take a listen to how we broke down Marvel against DC and the, uh, the types of quality arguments that were had last, last night. And let us know, fandom. Uh, the episode's going to go up, up the evening of October 13th. You'll be able to download it to your devices the morning of October 14th. Ready to get your AM mix sauce on? Is that right, Matt? No, it sounds good. But I was going to say good morning, listeners. But that oh. would be for that would be for the Pittsburgh Pod races that they're listening to. We're gonna have- and that's not this what you're hearing. So if it so happens that you're listening to this in the morning, I really would like to say a really happy good morning to you. And we also would kind of like to know who won. Because hit us up Facebook, Twitter, however you get a hold of us. Let us know, McSauce fans, who you think was the victor of the Pittsburgh Pod races. Because we kept it civil in the room when it was done. Even Sean, our moderator, took the took the soft way out. Wouldn't wouldn't nominate one winner. But however, here at the McSauce podcast, if there's anything that we do. We do competition and we and keep scoring. So, however, we did receive individual accolades. I know that I won best hair of the night last night. I know that Paul was particularly chafed about that. I don't understand how you felt. I couldn't win best hair, but uh, I would like to throw a shout out to my wonderful hairstylist, April, down at Cost Cutters in Verona. Um, if you want to have hair as nice as mine, I recommend you go visit April. I don't remember what I won, but I should have won Best Black Guy. You did. I won Best in a Swimsuit. Ah. Ah, your swimsuit was sexy, but classy. Swimsuit bod. You don't remember what you won? I don't remember. Hmm. I don't either. Paul, what did he win? Had to be blackest. Okay. It wasn't. Sean was very nice and politically correct, so. Sean was a pretty good moderator, I felt. I yeah. really did. I, th- I thought that he kept things as well as he could on on task. 
you know, we did deviate a little bit. We kind of changed the rules up a little bit. Because it was a debate-style thing, and I, I don't know. I'm not comfortable with that. I like to talk and have a conversation. Um, so the rules did get changed a little bit. It was, there were a lot of a lot of voices, a lot of people to rein in, and I think Sean did an admirable job uh, with all of us going in cold. He, I mean, this is the really first did. time any of us, us and the Nerd Exchange... Uh, you know, this was the maiden voyage of this thing, and uh, we were all going in pretty raw, just going with the flow, and I think Sean did yeah. an admirable job. And the Nerd Exchange was also great sports about everything. Uh, nothing ever came to fisticuffs. Never really even close. Yeah, we had a really great time with those guys and gals. I think that in the future we might try to get together, do another podcast, maybe a more conversational style podcast that fits both of our styles a little bit more. Something so, that'll, that will allow Ian to argue. That's what I excel at, so... Or at least what I like. I don't know if I'm good at it. I just like it. But, right, yeah. Um, off, pal. <laughs> if you guys don't know about the Nerd Exchange, check them out on Stitcher. Listen to their show. They have a lot of good, um, lot of good things that they're doing over there. Go send them that McSauce love, as well as Sean, our moderator, at the underscore Geek Eerie, as in Erie, Pennsylvania. Is that, like, the geekery? Is that how it's yeah, said? It's the geekery. Said. That's how it's said, but you want to do the underscore Geek Eerie. When you're telling someone how to get to it. Yeah. But when we're talking about a conversation. The geekery. The geekery. So that's what happened to us. It was a... Interesting evening for us. I think we had all had a lot of fun um, squaring off against another pod. I had a great time. I really did. You shine. You were excellent at his fire. condescending best. Yes. Somebody from McSauce had to bring it. I I happily volunteered. Actually, I think I was kind of like nominated to do it. Well, that's that's your strong suit is condescension. I played to my strengths. You condescend. Ian argues, and I'm handsome. Ian was at that disadvantage because he couldn't argue like he likes to, whereas I usually am more of a sit back and listen and then strike with my condescension. And, yeah, I did do that pretty well. I'm pretty sure that Kyle wanted to maybe gouge my (laughs) eyes out a couple times, but that's the nature of the business. When you debate, when you debate McSauce... We had a good time, and... But now now it's time to get back to... A regular McSauce podcast. And in the theme of Halloween, of ghosts, Paul Feig has announced last week that he's remaking Ghostbusters. It's going to be a total reboot, and it's going to start girls. Total 180 from the Ghostbusters that we know and love. How do we feel about it? Who's Paul Feig? Uh, I think he's the writer of Bridesmaids. Was yes. he the Freaks and Geeks guy? <clears throat> I don't know if he wrote that, but he is the writer. Talk amongst yourselves while I look that up. Paul Feig is the writer of Bridesmaids, so um, and and a few of the uh, suggested casts from a couple weeks ago when they interviewed Bill Murray, and he said, "Yeah, I think an all female cast of the Ghostbusters would be excellent." Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Emma Stone. Um, those were names that were brought up as uh, 
So, Christian McCarthy will be playing the Dan Aykroyd character. I would imagine. Um, and obviously, Kristen Wiig is the Bill Murray. Uh, and Linda Carta- Cardellini? Linda Cardellini, Wait, who did you say is the Bill Murray? Is also... Uh, Kristen Wiig? No? Kristen is Wiig. Is Eddie gone? I would say... Th- I, I don't know. I would say that Kristen Wiig would be the leader if you will, of the Ghostbusters. Okay, that would be Egon. So she'll be Egon. Do we think that Egon was the leader of the Ghostbusters? Yes. No. no. I don't think so either. Who was the leader? Peter Bankman. Ray was the leader of the Ghostbusters. Okay, really? I feel like leaders. Peter Bankman was the leader of the Ghostbusters. No, Peter Bankman was the star of the movie, but he wasn't the leader of the Ghostbusters. Because he was kind of just there. So Peter Bankman Ray, was the Han Solo of the Ghostbusters. So Ray... Well, Luke was running that show, and Ray is the... Ray is the Luke. Ray the is the Chewbacca. He created no, the Stay Puff Marshmallow. Ernie Hudson is the Chewbacca. He is the He's C- the support. He is the C-3PO. Nonsense. So really, no, you really think that Ray was the leader of the Ghostbusters? That's interesting. Yeah, Ray's the, Ray's the Leonardo of the Ghostbusters. Egon's the science guy, and Venkman's, you know, the quippy, I care, but I don't really care. He's right comedy. Yeah. Well, who's Michelangelo? Mm. I guess Venkman's a cross Raphael Michelangelo. I like how we're comparing the female Ghostbusters to the original Ghostbusters. And we can't even agree on that. And then we turn it into, well, how do they relate to Star Wars? How do they relate to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? So, like, how do they relate to um, Darkwing Duck? Well, Peter Venkman is clearly the Darkwing Duck. The star. Peter Venkman, undisputed star. Of two Ghostbusters movies. True. But, but also the face of the Ghostbusters as well. But the heart and... Right. But the heart and soul, the driving force of the Ghostbusters team was Ray Stance. I always felt I like know. Egon was the leader. <laughs> I, I disagree. Why do you feel like Egon was the leader? <laughs> we were so united last I know night. It what happened? One segment to break us apart. We're not even 15 minutes into this yet. We're all on extremely different pages. If Dom was here, I'd pick Winston. I, I guess I thought that Egon was, like, the main guy because wasn't he the one that, like, sort of... He was the brain supporting Ray Stance's greater vision. Was, was, was the idea... Was the, uh, the idea of Ghostbusters Ray's? Is that the deal? Is that... Because I, I, I haven't watched the original Ghostbusters. Yeah, in a it while. was it was Ray Ray and Egon, but Egon's the but they needed Egon's, Peter Venkman for that, right? Shit. Egon's the in the back brains, but Ray's the more outgoing in the front of the two of them. Okay, fair and enough. Then they yeah, pull in, might, okay, then so, they pull in. Peter. You're, you're bringing me on board. We're starting to be united again. This is starting to Good. gel into a I mean, I, I, unit. I can get, especially if it was like his original idea. Which I, I could see that, that I don't remember that scene in the movie. I though. think there is a scene where they start talking about like we need to do this and we need to and, be ghosts and, and they do well. We need to explore the paranormal and they you know right. go and they have to find Peter Bankman who's off doing his own thing. Yeah, and, and, and he's electrocuting people. And, and, Bankman, right. and Bankman's like, yeah, okay, we'll do this. But it's Ray and Egon that. Get the get the ball rolling. For those that haven't seen Ghostbusters or can't fucking remember the beginning of it, <laughs> which are all of us. How? No, I'm in. I know okay, it. Paul, is. Paul, how did it start? As far as Egon and Ray, where like, t- tell me that opening sequence. But, but e- Egon, Ray, and Peter Venkman are in the library in the very first. No, scene, no, no, right? no. It was before that. Before they go to the library, there's they don't do anything before the library, do they? 
I think so. Like, yeah, because they lose Peter their Rankin funding is, from the college, right? And Peter and Ray and Egon are like, oh, the three of them are there. But the the library scene is the first scene. No, no when they're getting God. when they're getting kicked out of the university, Peter isn't there. He's not. It's just Ray and Egon watching all of their shit getting taken out of the the lab. This he, movie sounds really good. And they're like, we've but we've got something here. We can't let this fail. And then they go on to do. Their own thing. No, because Peter was there because they were talking to the dean, Dean Yeager, and Peter said, this is preposterous. And Dean Yeager said, your methods are sloppy, your this, that, and the other thing. And he was talking directly to Venkman. So he was there. I know what we should do for Halloween. Watch Ghostbusters. So, based on, based on that, Matt, would you say... Peter is the leader of the Ghostbusters. Maybe he is. Are you fucking kidding me? I don't know. He was the one that was going to bat against Dean Yeager. And he because is, that's his personality. He's just combative. And he, and he doesn't really give a shit. And well, he is the out-of-the-front person. They come out of the ballroom and 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 he's the guy that... Yeah, he's the big personality. Does that not necessitate a leader? Would you say Optimus Prime is a big personality? Certainly. No, Ironhide is... But he's not the leader of the Autobots. Optimus Prime is always out there talking to the humans. Characters, right? But he's out there, calm, collected, voice of the voice of the group. He's not. I like how we compared the Ghostbusters now to the Transformers as well. Would you not say that Captain Kirk, out there in front, bombastic personality? Leader of leader, or are we going to go with calm, cool, collected Correct. science Spock. officer Spock? Correct. But Starfleet Academy gave actual titles to those ranks. So yeah, Kirk was the leader because he was the captain. But Ghostbusters don't have actual ranks. Sometimes it's this just is a, all speculative. Some, sometimes it's just a feel. You just feel a certain way. I mean. What else can we compare this to? Peter Venkman was, was the, like? the talker, and he was the one that kind of addressed everyone, and he was the one that handled all that stuff himself. He wasn't getting notes from, from Ray Stance on the side telling him what to say. He said it. He led the way. Like, whenever he had to deal with um, Walter Peck. The, he was the city planner guy yeah, or whatever the fuck. Ray and Eagle yeah. were already trying to deal with Walter Peck, but they were unsuccessful because Peter's ultimate fucking dick. Ultimately, they were, all unsuccessful. Because, like, because because they were the all unsuccessful. They were all unsuccessful. Who did Walter Peck go to first? He went to Peter Venkman first, and he brushed him aside. No, no, no. Oh, wait, yeah, because I think he was dealing with Janine, the secretary, and then Peter came in and gave him a pat and, like, slimed him. Hey, man, thanks for coming. Remember That's that? what leaders do. I don't know. I don't fucking know who the leader this is. This is amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not Peter. But it Peter is. Peter's the Raphael all, all we know, the Ghostbusters. All we know for He's sure. He's the Captain Kirk Listen, the listen, listen. All we know for sure is Winston isn't the leader. No, correct. That's what we know for sure. Correct. Everybody else... Up for debate, maybe. I know. Winston is just the there for is not up We've for debated debate. it for 20 minutes. We didn't debate <laughs> Egon. Can we Can we rule out Egon? Two to, two to one vote? Egon is not the leader. Make your case for Egon. Well, I was, originally I thought maybe Egon was because I always thought that he was kind of like the brainchild of the Ghostbusters. He was like the driving force where, you know, like it 
came from, and he had all the science behind it, he understood it, and everybody kind of like jumped on board with him. But Egon needs a marketing department, which is Ray Stance and Peter Venkman. Yeah, but in a company, the marketing department isn't the leader. The president or the CEO is the leader. Who's the president? The person that's out front. The person that's pushing the no, brand. That's your, that's your pitch guy. That's your PR guy. Yeah. Steve Jobs was out front as well as some of the brains behind that. I think that Peter Venkman also still had okay, a so significant... Now, so now the Ghostbusters are Apple. Okay. So do we... <laughs> Who gives a shit who these people are supposed to represent? Do we like this cast? All right. Here it is. No! No! We're not doing this anymore! We can't agree. We won't agree. Ray is your Captain America. But Peter is your Iron Man. I know. Iron Man. I know. Could be. That's one example. And Egon is your Bruce Banner. The real brains behind the operation. That's just one. That's one team. What's Winston Thor? It's gonna have to be. No, he's fucking he's Falcon. Falcon. Oh. Don't be silly. Oh. he's Lando. Is, or is Janine Black or Jazz? This is probably the best analogy, by the way, so far. Is Janine Black Widow? No, she's like Maria Hill. What's Lewis Tully? Agent the Coulson. guy that sees Agent Coulson. Yeah, I guess he Coulson, Maybe. or the guy that's guy that sees Bruce naked after he falls out of the sky. No, no, because he geared up. He was a Ghostbuster in Ghostbusters, but he too. also was a villain, so that makes him Loki. Those no, gray no, area wishy washy no, Marvel no. villains. No, All he right. wasn't Loki. I think he was. Um, I think we're off to a good start tonight. <laughs> so, Paul, do you like the the? rumored, suggested casting for this new Ghostbusters movie. All-female lead, very unusual, very unexpected, because leading up to it, we had all heard that it was going to be maybe Ghostbusters 3. Maybe even Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, um, Ernie Hudson, and... um, Uh, Paul Feig did write Freaks and Geeks. Right, I knew he did, especially when you guys said Linda Linda Cardellini, because Linda Cardellini was the main character on Freaks and Geeks, but... Um, who was the... I, I'm blanking on his name. Egon. Harold Ramis. Her, Harold Ramis. Um, the rumor for the longest time was they were going to get all these actors and they were going to get them back and they were all going to be in um, Ghostbusters 3, but then I don't think we'd get... They couldn't get everybody to agree on a script or a storyline. Because Peter Venkman's too good for Ghostbusters. Bill Murray? Yeah. Yeah, Bill Murray. <laughs> Bill Murray. And by extension, Peter Venkman is too good for Ghostbusters at this point. He How likes to do weirdo, oddball, unfunny movies instead of What is the honest, movie that just came out? Comedies. More that sort of indie style with um, uh, McCarthy. What's her first name again? Melissa. Melissa, Melissa McCarthy. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember the name of it, but that's not, I don't think that's a comedy. Uh, it, it's a dramedy-looking thing. Um, it looks kind of like about a boy with a much older... Uh, Hugh Grant, um, Saint Vincent. Saint Vincent. It actually looks good. It does. Obviously, that's where Bill Murray's saying, "Oh yeah, Melissa McCarthy would be great in the Ghostbusters." Oh, Bill Murray will. Bill Murray's going to be doing the voice of Baloo in the live-action Jungle Book. 
They're making that? So, Bill Murray... They got a hell of a voice acting cast. Bill Murray is slowly reapproaching doing some mainstream style uh, filmmaking. Uh, I don't know if he would have any presence in, in a new Ghostbusters, maybe as, like, cameo. I know that before uh, Harold Ramis passed away, he talked about wanting to potentially do it, but he would only do it if he could be a ghost, uh, which sounded horrible. Because we all, I mean, our favorite part of Ghostbusters was Peter Venkman. Why would you want to take that away? That's just him saying, oh, I'll do it, but... But I'm going to do it on my terms because I am above Ghostbusters at this point. You have to admit, though, in Zombieland, him, and you know it had to be his idea, to have his real-life character killed off in such a hilarious fashion was just so perfect. It was so perfectly Bill Murray. Do we still like a lot of the things that Bill Mar- Murray puts out there? Did Did you guys see um, Lost in Translation? I did. Scarlett Johansson. I, I, I thought that was good, but it's not. He he no longer does straight comedy. It's always like Paul said that weird indie um, hipster kind of film. Yeah, he was in. Uh, he's in a lot of. Um, Royal Tenenbaums, uh, 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 the, the Grand Rise Budapest, Rise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Grand Hotel. Bud- What's that guy's name? The, know it, right? The director? Yeah. He, Wes, um, I almost call him Wes Wes Craven. Anderson. Wes Anderson. Wes Craven's a different guy. I was going to say Wes Bentley? <laughs> He's Wes Anderson. Wally West? Wes Belker? All, all very, oh. very similar tonally. Like, you know, that guy kind of has a very, very distinct style. And that seems to be what Bill Murray really gravitates toward. Yeah. So, given who Bill Murray is today, I didn't really expect to see him kind of in a classic Ghostbusters type thing. Maybe you have to change it significantly, like it sounded like you wanted to do by being a ghost, and who knows what that would have been like. Or this but Bill reboot. Murray can still be Peter Venkman. Like, I don't think he's past the point of doing mainstream comedy and being amazing in it. I agree, but I don't think he has interest in doing it. Right. And I almost feel like Peter Vankman, the reason why I was so successful, I feel like that's kind of Bill Murray. Like, I feel like he's that guy. So, that's why he was able to pull that off. This is him. You can't have you can't have the knock him down guy without the set him up guy. So, well, we're not going to get this cast. We're going to get the female cast, clearly. It might not be this female cast that he suggested. Um, I think that we talked about it a couple episodes ago, Paul. You mentioned that they're going to skew younger. It's going to be a younger cast than these these women that are suggested. And I think that's probably right. I think that they're going to go younger. It doesn't sound like it's going to be. It sounds like no? Paul Feig is going to go with with this suggestion. With the, the actors that he's familiar with, with yep. the ones that he's using, and then the think, age range of Cardellini. I think that makes sense because Ghostbusters has a built-in installed base that that already knows the brand. They're the ones that are going to know the name recognition, and they're going to be into it. And they're an older demographic. Eight-year-olds don't know what the goddamn Ghostbusters are. So when you try to sell a movie as the Ghostbusters, trying to, you know, play on nostalgia, and you know we're going to get that Ghostbusters logo, it won't mean anything to children. Whereas when older people that grew up with it 
or or even older when it came out, when they see it, they're going to instantly recognize it and be interested. Now, you mentioned uh, children, and Ghostbusters is remembered as something that we held on to as kids and we watched as kids. Something that they brought up here was that they want to make something that's comedy, but something that's really scary, and that's something that's that has an element of horror to it. And, and do you, I don't know if that's the smartest idea by going scary with it. I don't think that's a bad idea. I don't think the original ones weren't without elements of horror. I it wasn't particularly scary, but maybe to like an eight year old or a seven or a six year old, the. Yeah. There was some scary shit. When the library ghost, still terrifying. Even in, in Ghostbusters 1, when the dog is chasing Lewis Tully all over yeah. the place, you were you felt that tension. You were yeah, scared. And, and there's something inherently scary about the Vigo painting. The Vigo painting? Yeah. I thought even the seeing the, the ghosts walk off the Titanic in the second Ghostbusters movie was kind of creepy. Or the moment um, when, in the first Ghostbusters, when they release all all the ghosts from the containment unit, and you have things crawling out of the sewer and them flying around the city. Right. There are a lot of pretty freaky moments there. Right. Now, I don't know how much further they intend to push it with this reboot, I, I would hope not a whole lot further, but I would hope a little further because, like I was saying, your audience now, your installed audience that's already on board, and we're probably all going to see it, even if we're not, you know, in favor of a all female reboot versus like a true sequel. I, I think that you know our, would would take it like it'll take a little more to scare us and get our you know our heart racing a little bit because more. horror movies now are much more sophisticated than horror movies in the 80s exactly like go back to the original friday the 13th i recently watched that in the theater on friday the 13th i think it was in june or something and it was a packed theater and it was like it, it was like we were watching Dumb and Dumber. The crowd was laughing hysterically. It was so unscary. And that makes me worried because they're going out of their way to say we're going to make this one a little more scary. Just given the way that audiences perceive horror now and what is scary in today's is there, age, I feel what, like, what could they possibly, what, what are they going to do? And that like, worries me that they might go a little too far. But what is there that kind of like does that balance of comedy and horror? And it's really tough right now really because nothing. the dichotomy between what's honestly <clears throat> scary and comedy, I'm like how do you swing the tone of the movie to hit in one scene, you're terrified for the life of Melissa McCarthy, and then the next time, the next scene, she's farting on someone. <laughs> like, how do you fucking play that successfully? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, in the first one, it seemed like it was a lot of the effects, a lot of the way that the ghosts looked. Were, that was the big thing that was scary about it. You know, you guys mentioned Vigo. Vigo was a pretty terrifying character, especially towards the end when his face was changed and he was more demonic looking. That's pretty scary. Voiced by Max von Sydow. Mm. A long time ago this week with Matt Cassell. I wasn't going there. I was going to say he was the original. I'm trying to keep it horror, but if you want to bring up... Yeah, he's in episode seven, but he was also the exorcist. Mm. The original exorcist. 
This guy's been around for a while. They still going strong. I know they sell they sell big versions of the Vigo painting, and I, I wouldn't want to have it. I wouldn't want to have that either. Like even before creepy. before he comes out of the painting, before the more de- demonic looking Vigo, just the painting itself is creepy. Yeah, super creepy. Thanks for joining us tonight, folks. Well, we're all done here. Yeah, I, I think the, the the difference between being funny and being an honestly scary movie, it's too hard to bridge, and kudos for Paul Feig if he can pull it off. Well, but it sounds like a tall order. Paul Feig has had maybe... I think he's had a pretty successful career. I mean, look what he did with Freaks and Geeks, a show well ahead of its time where he essentially kicked off the careers of Almost every major Hollywood star going today. Um, yeah, but that's that's all he's written. Did he write Bridesmaids? No, he directed Bridesmaids. He directed it, uh, and but that's a very well revered movie with a predominantly female cast. It, it seems like if somebody's going to do it with he this did. approach, he directed The Heat. That's supposed to be good. Directed it a was, few episodes of Arrested Development. It was cute. A few episodes of Arrested Development. A few what, what of I would What I would fear, though, is he's going to have to like venture outside of his wheelhouse for this. You know? Because like, that's what he does. He does these like almost cute storylines, even in Freaks and Geeks, that tackled like, a few uh, kind of themes that that resonated with us when we were in high school. Nothing particularly heavy. Maybe no, some drug use. He's done he's done the office and Nurse Jackie, which deals with fairly heavy <laughs> drug use. A couple episodes of Bored to Death. Like he's he's been around in different genres. Yeah, but none of those things that you mentioned, nothing goes into horror or anything yeah, not, remotely nothing, outside right. of comedy. Or really. even fits the style of comedy that existed in Ghostbusters. So well, it feels like it might Brides, be. A, I don't think bridesmaids and Ghostbusters is are so far out of the realm of each other. Oh, uh, maybe not. But the bridesmaids had a much cuter kind of tone to it, whereas Ghostbusters, particularly with with Bill Murray, because brand men are real comedians and girls are just cute. Particularly with Bill Murray's. <laughs> oh come on, bridesmaids! I love how you turned on him there. Good job. It's a chick flick. Ah, and then he backed it up. <laughs> However. It's for girls. It's not for real people. No. When I mean really honestly, who saw the heat? I saw a the bunch heat. of a bunch of broads and Paul. <laughs> you could have just stopped with a bunch of broads. <laughs> it's implied that I saw it. I know. But anyway, like I was saying, Bill Murray brings a certain uh, level of uh, sarcasm that I don't remember really being in Bridesmaids. Um, in fact, I don't remember that kind of, like, Bill Murray kind of, like, brings his own kind of comedic arsenal to his movies, and he really is kind of a one-of-a-kind comedic actor. Like, I, who who do you compare to Bill Murray? That brings his own style? No, that brings that style. Everybody has their own thing, but who really does, like, the Bill Murray thing? I mean, he's he's considered one of the funniest guys. Bill Murray doesn't he have a brother? Yeah, what is Brian Murray? Brian Murray, or is that the? 
uh, hockey talk with McSauce. <laughs> Isn't that the GM for the Ottawa Senators? Ottawa Senators? <clears throat> Suffer and fuck attack. Well, like I, he's got a really wicked lisp. This new Ghostbusters doesn't need to match the old Ghostbusters. It's going to be its own thing. And in a lot of ways, I'd almost rather them go ahead and reboot the entire franchise this way. Because Paul Feig has had some success. Bridesmaid, The Heat, Freaks and Geeks. None of them are bad. The Heat didn't light my world on fire. Neither did Bridesmaids. But they were good. I enjoyed them. So... I'd almost rather someone just take the reins, start from scratch from the ground up, than try to recreate the magic that happened with Ghostbusters 1 and 2. I agree with that. And, you know, even when we were still talking about it being a sequel and everybody was still alive, and I still had reservations. Even if everybody was on board, it's like, man, they're really old now. I'm not sure that everybody, like, if you can capture that again. I think I, I had more more confidence in that and bringing back the original cast than I do in this because this is a lot of the unknown and sure it could be great yeah but I still they I've watched those actors do it before yeah I feel like they might be able to do it again right and those are the Ghostbusters the, the whoever is new is kind of like we don't really know. I yeah. don't know what your credentials... I mean, we kind of know what your credentials are, but until we see you as the Ghostbusters, you're not the Ghostbusters. And it's going to be... It's it's uh, interesting to see how they're going to set this up. I don't think that they're going to do, like, well, these are the daughters of the Ghostbusters or right, whatever. Right. Like, what is going to be the connection? What's the through line between this female set of Ghostbusters and the original cast. These are going to be the real Ghostbusters. Oh, no. Where's the monkey from the real Ghostbusters? Wouldn't you shit if that was what they ended up making? Oh, they're like, oh, you guys thought that we were talking about the other the other Ghostbusters. Right. No, we're talking about... No, can can you explain that to me? The, the real Ghostbusters? Do you know the story there? Like, as far as why, why were they called the real Ghostbusters... Well, I mean, that there was a TV sh- series in the '60s that was Ghostbusters, and when they they that also spawned a cartoon. So when Ghostbusters the movie franchise moved into having an animated series, they had to differentiate. So they were the real Ghostbusters. The real- so they were dicky, and were like the real Ghostbusters. So exactly, and that was the the Dan Aykroyd, Peter or. Bill Murray, Ghostbusters. Those were the real Ghostbusters. Yes, right. they were the real Ghostbusters. And then there was another but there was another TV, TV show that existed gotcha. called with Ghostbusters. The mon- the mon- right, okay. With the monkey. And, I remember that. Yeah. So that's why they had to do that. And it was a little dicky, but you know. Well, so what's the what's the proposed cast for this? Melissa McCarthy, Emma Stone, the chick from Bridesmaids. Linda... Kristen Wiig. Kristen, Kristen Wiig. Linda Cardellini. Linda Cardellini. Well, who's... I don't understand who Ernie Ernie Hudson is. They're going sans black. No way. They can't go sans black. That's what Bill Murray suggested. I mean, that's not who they're going to cast, but that's that's the suggestion. So, and I I would be shocked. Me about Bill Murray. Racist. Correct. I'd be shocked if Melissa McCarthy was not one of these Ghostbusters. Everybody else is kind of interchangeable. But she's well, just, the one that I feel is Just based gonna on it's going to be a comedy. Paul Feig's worked with her twice already. 
Melissa McCarthy's pretty much a shoe in, and I would imagine Kristen Wiig is also a shoe in. Is it is it wig or wig? Wig. I don't fucking know. Oh, okay. But you'll bust my balls if I say something strange, but wig. Right. If I know that you're wrong, I will bust your balls. I think it's wig. I've never heard it pronounced. Go ahead. Bust bust I've never pronounced it. I've never heard it pronounced wig. You know what? If it's not pronounced wig, don't have two fucking eyes in it. (laughs) Correct. Okay. Are you saying this because of the Nintendo Wii? Is that, that, you know, that's a logical line of thinking. I think we'll go with Chris. Is that the first time Wee. a double I go- is pronounced <laughs> as an I? <laughs> I, 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 I thought it was yes, just it. W-I-G. Is it W-I-I-G? I think it's W-I-I-G, W-I-I-G but I thought it was Wig. I thought it was Wig, too. I think it's Wig. 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 That's terrible. So, in closing, are we on board with this all-female cast? Are you on board with all-female cast? Are you more or less excited if, since it's if it's McCarthy and Wig and Stone, does that make you more or less excited than if it was Hill and Rogan and Franco? Less excited. One hundred percent less excited. You. Anti-feminist. I'm just speaking my mind. Um, it could be a great film, but I am. My anticipation is less. I, I don't know if it's going to be as good as it possibly could be. I'm not so that interested. But you think if Seth Rogen and company were involved, you would have more faith? I think I would. I really do. I, I've enjoyed more of their products than. But they have more products. That's true. That's true. It's just more of a track record. And, and because they, they're men. And they're dudes, so they're, they're going to be they're funny funnier. because chicks are not funny. I mean, it's a proven fact. Science, Aaron. science, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I was going to be the one to be this guy tonight. <laughs> you made me go down <laughs> that road, but awful, I happily... Awful person tonight. So I'm less excited... About that, I could be proven wrong, and I'm excited to possibly be proven wrong. But my excitement because level you is like less. those guys better, or because you I'll, don't think girls are that fun. No, I, and honestly, I like those guys better. If they did that, Seth Rogen, James Franco, uh, Jonah Hill crew, uh, uh, Craig Robinson crew, give me those dudes over any set of any females ever. The Craig Robinson, um, Jake Johnson, Kia commercials. Fucking hilarious. Dodge Dart. Dodge Dart commercials. Hilarious. That's Damn. some good shit. Who's that guy? Craig Robinson. And Jake Johnson from New Girl. Office, Hot Tub Time Machine. Black guy, you're a racist. Alright. Just tap out. I'm but gonna... that's that that's the if we're gonna talk, that's the Ghostbusters that I wanna see. Give me this is the end crew. Ghostbusters. I agree. We're done. I, I, I agree. I I'd, I'd be a lot more excited for that. I would also be a lot more excited if I knew Melissa McCarthy was going to play more of the character she was on Mike and Molly than she does in movies. See, I don't know anything about her TV role. She's way more subtle. She's way more subdued. Just as good, but it's just kind of a different style. Because I feel like when they put her in movies, they're like, you need to be like in Tammy and you need Bridesmaids to. and he they're like, you need to be nuts. There's you gonna be a to be scene where you where you take a dump in the middle of the street. So yeah. 
Step your game up. You need to be as crazy obnoxious as you possibly can. But in Mike and Molly, she's a little more reserved. She's she just has a, a, a more subtle brand of comedy. Yeah. She's fucking great at it. Yeah, I I mean, I. I, I've seen Bridesmaids. She was good in that. I really enjoyed that. But I'm not drawn to any of the other things that she's ever been in. So we'll see. I'll like go Molly, see her in Ghostbusters. Pittsburgh's own Billy Gardell. I'm familiar with his work as a terrible towel holding resident of the city. Matt, what do you think? Bridesmaids or uh, Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters. Girlbusters. Um. I, I'm okay with it. No matter what, just because of my trepidation going into a third Ghostbusters movie, just because of the huge time lapse, and not really having a clear idea of what maybe they were going to do, whether it was the old actors uh, being recast maybe, or now this new proposed idea with an all-female cast, my excitement level wasn't like at an 8 or anything. Like It's probably way down at like a 2. So, like, whatever they decide right now is fine with me. I'm not going to, like, get my juices flowing for this until I see some shit. Whether that's stills, maybe some, like, ideas of what the story's going to be, or maybe even a trailer for that, like, five-point trailer swing that we do here. Is it five points now? Well, I put it it down at a two. I thought it was a two-point trailer. I thought it was two. It was like the ten-point trailer. Down at a two right now, but that could Your change. Excitement? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For oh. a com- for a confirmation that they are making Ghostbusters, I'm at a four. Holding four. Holding. So excitement for Matt two. Yeah, three, three, three. Excitement for Ian four. I will also go four on excitement. I also expect a four. Ian. Whew. You know what? Uh, let me let me revise. I expect middle of the road five. I expect middle of the road five as well. I expect to see it and be like, it was a little better good. than I thought. All right. I would expect something more like a seven or an eight because the names attached, there, there's some pedigree with these names. Everything from the potential writer director to the actors involved. So. I think that the potential is definitely there to have a quality product. What I have just, we given a five to before? Do we remember anything? Because I'm trying to compare it to anything that we've seen before. Spider-Man, maybe? I think you guys gave it sixes. Ugh. Maybe Spider-Man I, I want to revise that. I want to give it a six. The final review or the expectation? I thought the final review got a six. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I want to say ex- um, excitement. For expectation six. I gave Spider-Man... After I saw Spider-Man 2, by the way, just going back for a sec, I gave it an eight, which I know was kind of an outrageous claim. Thor the Dark World style, motherfucker. Well, you went nine. That was truly Did ludicrous. I nine? Oh, was, that's insane. Did I go nine? You were insane. That was nuts. That's why we still bring it up. It was that crazy. However, however, in, I want to defend Ian a little bit here. I feel like it was an eight, but I'm sure I'm wrong. We were pretty new to the to the McSauce rating system at that point, and we didn't really have a whole lot of other like things to rate against it. So, being that it was so fresh and new, 
Ian didn't quite have the, the grasp on like kind of where the numbers correspond to the quality yet. So he was he was a lot more liberal with his number usage at the time. Whereas I think if we gave him a Thor of the Dark World, we threw him that Thor of the Dark World ball right in his face, he would hit it out with maybe a, a six or a seven. I think now upon with further confidence. a further review, maybe a seven nine is extremely high. Now I, I I would also probably have to revise my Spider Man score because I did give it an eight. I saw it twice in the theater and I really liked it a lot better the second time. However, I did watch it again, even more mindful of the flaws, and I'm going to reduce that back down to a seven. But yeah. it is better than a six. I yeah. think I've watched it three times now. I think the big question for the reboot of Ghostbusters is who's going to play. Walter Peck. I think they should bring him back. Who's going to bring such douchiness besides Matt Cassell to be in this role? You know, actually, you want to bring douchiness? Bring in um, Bill or Bill Murray. Bring in um, well, that too. Bring in Bruce Willis to be who who was also his his counter. Uh, I was going to say counterpoint, but that's not accurate. But he was also in the Die Hard, the first two Die Hard movies, as that dickish reporter that almost got, like, McLean's family killed in the first Die Hard. And then somehow he was stuck on an, an airplane with McLean's wife in Die Hard 2, and she had to, like, punch him in the face or uh, electrocute him with a with a taser. And... Um, he, he was like the same character. So this that. is how we're going to string it all, bring Bruce Willis now, in? Well, Bruce Willis has proven to be kind of a huge dick. But he, he's like a real-life dick. Like, he's not a he film just channeled dick. himself. You know, William Atherton is 67 years old this year. And he still looks pretty good. So I think you bring him back. You bring him back? You bring him back for this. Okay. He could totally pull it off, yeah. All right, we'll bring him back. So, let's shift gears. Let's get into a little Netflix Daredevil. We're probably going to compare it to maybe Transformers or Ninja Turtles. Possibly Star Wars. Star Trek. Star Wars. Ghostbusters. <laughs> Girl Busters. So, would, would Matt Murdock be the Peter Venkman? Of his oh own. Oh, my God. Because I think he's got the race dance. <laughs> but Foggy, absolutely the eagle. I can't argue with you there. Myself, so, being a big DC guy, not knowing no. a lot of Daredevil lore, I look at the released images of the Daredevil costume, and I'm like, why the fuck is he all in black? It's, Someone tell me why he's all in black. Um, it's very dark. It seems like a um, an odd choice, if you will. Um, and it seems like, just looking at this new picture that I'm looking at, this looks like the Snake Eyes pilot. I would say that that's more in line. He looks like a straight-up ninja in this. Well, is, is Daredevil's base fighting style martial arts? Yeah, it is. Yeah, he's he's essentially a ninja. Uh, he was trained by a like a ninja master named Stick, who I guess is the inspiration for going back to Turtles. He was kind of like the inspiration for Splinter. And then you had the, the group of ninjas that Daredevil fought 
called the Hand, and then internals, they're the Foot Soldiers, or the Foot Clan. I think it's ironic that the spinoff, the turtle spinoff, the Foot, is more popular right. and more well-known than, than its inspiration. Yeah. Uh, which is a testament to the quality of that product. You know, Paul and I were talking um, off-camera. Where was I? Uh, well, you weren't around, so we were talking about you. <laughs> so He's like a foot soldier. We were talking about uh, the character Lobo and how uh, Lobo, uh, in his original iteration before they did this, this reboot recently, was... Um, yeah, he was kind of like a product of, uh, like, different... Um, he was a parody of 90s yeah, he comic Yeah, he was a parody of 90s comic characters, but he became so popular that he transcended that parody into this, like, real character that people actually took seriously and enjoyed. Um, they didn't just like him because, well, that's funny, he kind of reminds me of a Wolverine meets, like... Whoever else with big shoulder like pads, Judge Dredd, right? Meets and and that that's a testament cable. to the quality of that character. That that you can literally wear your inspiration on your sleeve and yet still be totally relevant. Do we really like? Does do we like Lobo? Is that what you guys are saying? Do you like Lobo? Yeah, I've never read anything that I enjoyed him in. I like I like Lobo is an ancillary DC character. You bring him in for a couple Superman animated series episodes. I think pops he was up in a couple Justice yeah, League. Yeah, he was he was humorous there, but only as like a one and done. Yeah, kind of I, thing. I by no means would buy a Lobo series, but as a as one character in the greater DC universe, yeah, the old Lobo is. And enjoyable, and I never, and, and this is new to me. This theory, and I'm not discounting it at all. But I thought he was just another part of '90s overblown superhero hype. I never thought that he was a parody of it. No, and I, I mean I could be wrong, and and I think yeah, that it's. I believe an inter- Keith, Keith Giffen is the the creator of Lobo. I believe that he has made it well known that he was a, a product of yeah. like all the other 90s style characters. I can see that. I always took him at face value. Maybe because I never read anything. You were probably younger too and you didn't know. Um, like I was. I yeah. I knew after the fact. Yeah. But I always liked him. I always thought yeah. he was a cool character to have around. I thought he had a cool look. You know, he was... Once you found out how fucking powerful he was, like, he can stand toe-to-toe with Superman. That's kind of cool. Yeah, his weird, like, space biker gear, like, it... Bounty hunter type It was weird, yeah. but it it just, it fit. It made sense in the DC universe. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the same way that a lot of people felt about, uh, you know, Wolverine at that time. Uh, just... Overhyped on every single wizard cover. Everywhere you looked, DC was putting some new Lobo stuff out. And I just, I wasn't a DC guy. Didn't read much DC at that time. And I just didn't really get into the character. So, I mean, it, it is interesting. And I, I believe you guys that that's kind of the inspiration and it's of Lobo. Different for and he's me. a parody. It's different for me because I didn't start reading comics till 2000. Yeah. So, like, by the time I started reading... DC books. Lobo was just part of the DC mythology. Like, I didn't find out until much later that he was a parody of all the 90s stuff. 
But so DC, Lobo is just a part of the DC world. Like it was just as it was happening. You have your cables. You have your spawn. You have your Wolverine, and then you have your Lobo and, and Deadpool's. And I was like, oh, well, all these things seem similar. I didn't feel like one was more right. elevated than the other. And do you remember back in the maybe mid-90s, that Superman book that came out where he fought Lobo, and, and the gimmick of the book was it came out with, like, color forms that you could, like, attach. <laughs> I do remember. There were, like, different yeah. versions of the characters and, like, props and shit. You could, like, design your own cover of them fighting on it. The only Lobo book that I ever remember buying was, like, the extra super dirty Lobo one that you had to... It was in, like... It came already bagged, and it was, like, some weird, like... The Simon Beasley one? Yeah, yeah, where it was, like, you, you couldn't... Like, you had it, to have... Was it Bisley? I, I always thought it was Beasley, but... Beasley? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I thought you made those corrections when you knew somebody was incorrect. I'm pretty sure it's, it's Bisley. But you're Bisley? not sure. You're pretty sure. But you're not sure. Well, you said Bilesley. You inverted I, two letters. I didn't say Bilesley. I said... Billsley. Beasley. Still inverting two letters. I said Beasley. Either way, that was the one. I remember that one. It was pornographic, so I bought that. So that was it for my Lobo reading. Of course you did. And I did you like. guys have... Did you... Well, you, Paul, you got in a little late, and by the time he you got in... He was too busy. You I had, don't know what you were you doing had like doing, What were you fucking doing, doing in the 90s? Doing things. Oh, in the 90s doing when you were a things. teenager. In the 90s, he was in his 30s. Oh, that's right. He was getting his third divorce in the 90s. <laughs> doing man things. Now, Ian, did you ever, like, uh, use the comic book medium as a way to get any kind of pornography or anything? Oh, fuck yeah! Because I got, I got a porno comic called Cherry. Oh, really? Like, yeah, do you remember that? See, no, I always had, like, light porno, like the Marvel swimsuit issue and no, stuff no, like no. that. No, this is like, like real porno. This is real dirty, flea oh, no markety shit. No, no, and this is I real remember, I remember getting my, my, I only had, no, okay, I had two issues of Cherry, and I got it down at the Wildwood Peddler's Fair, which was a flea market. That sounds so Wildwood Diddler's Fair. Fair. (laughs) Oh, shit. It was the Wildwood Peddler's Fair on Wildwood Road in lovely Hampton, Pennsylvania. Um, A a flea market very close to my house where I used to live. And I would ride my bike down on Sundays and I would go through like old dirty boxes of comics. And I came across these. You would go through someone's old dirty van. (laughs) <laughs> in their old dirty underwear, well, stuck on their old dirty penis. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't just stop it at porno comics. Like they had like old penthouses and stuff. I with, hate like, that. I don't remember this, or I, I'm not keen to this. But, but there was this one called Cherry. cherry. I, I, remember, I may have a cherry in the basement. I know. I no, old dirty, dirty basement. I know Cherry the porno. Magazine. No, but this is this, this is, is cherry, yeah. this is cherry the comic book, and it almost had like Archie style art, but it was super filthy. It was that's so X-rated porn, so Bruce Tim style. Yeah, it was like kind of Bruce Tim, but like yeah. it was showing full penetration. Yeah, lots of like juices and stuff, oh. all that stuff. So I can remember I had like 
you know, as a teenager uh, in in the mid '90s, I had all my comic books all over my bedroom, and my mom one day like insisted, "Let me help you clean your room." No, 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 mom! No, no, I got, it, I got, it, I got. It. And she was like getting comics together, and of course she fucking finds my cherry comic God, while we're in the bedroom. Damn it! What is this? And I was like, "Oh, I don't, I don't know." I bought a collection from some dude in the the flea market. I don't even know what it is. The Wildwood Flea and Market, like, Matt? Oh, snap, Cherry. Yeah. Right? Little Google image search for sure. This looks like the best thing that I was never on. I'm surprised Daddy. you didn't know Yeah, that. no, man. Like, like I said, I was always like the real light you know, Marvel swimsuit edition. That There's was a penis like. Penis in this. I told you it showed penetration. When I said penetration, what? Did yeah, you think that's I a meant? that's a little peep. That's a that's a peep. So and I this mean, is totally Jason jerking off in the bushes, watching these coeds fuck before he kills them. <laughs> Matt, you're fucked up, man. I mean, at least we were in a traditional porno material when we were. Oh yeah, like Ian strugging it to the swimsuit edition of Marvel Comics. Hey man, it was I hot used, stuff. At least I used real porn. Did you see that Neymar pictorial? So fucking sexy. I guess, I guess Cherry is the main character of yeah, the Cherry Comics. Yeah. This blonde chick. Her nipples sexy. are never soft. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> that's how the nineties were. Always how the nineties were, man. Pam Anderson and Cherry. Wow. I, I love what I've just done for you, Paul. I have opened you up to a whole new world tonight. Yeah, I, I didn't even know this this existed. Though, and I keep meaning to tell you guys, but I keep I kept I keep forgetting about it. I found in my ownership a penthouse with a Milo Minara comic in it. Oh really? That's really yes. cool. I was flipping through it and I, I came across this comic. I was and flipping through it. You were slowly, essentially going page. No, I wasn't. Page. You were ripping your dick in half. There's so many. There's so many. I need to get rid of them. I need to pick and choose the ones I want and don't want. It's all business at this point. Yeah, because you had a subscription for a long time. I had a subscription, and Penthouse fucked up after I canceled and kept and, sending them, and then started sending me doubles. Oof. Were you so, getting charged for that? No, I wasn't paying anything. And they were sending you two. Two penthouses. Who were you giving like the extra years. one to? I just bagged them and kept them. You needed two? Oh, if I get my jizz on this one, I'm going to need this extra one. <laughs> or be a collector's Or item. my jizz. I, I don't remember have him any having bag, two. I don't have any of the bagged ones anymore. Like I, I don't know what happened to half of them. But I was flipping through and I saw a comic and I was like, that smush face looks awfully familiar. So I, I looked and I was like, holy fuck, this is Milo Minara. That's funny, man. Artist of the Spider-Woman butt cheeks asshole in the air Marvel image. So I'll have to dig that out show you gents later. So anyway, Daredevil. Oh yeah. We, we really, really took a left turn. <laughs> um, are we excited about... The new image, the very ninja-like image of Matt Murdock on the rooftops. Well, it's pretty cool because if you look at the John Romita Jr. artwork, which this is clearly inspired from, uh, John Romita Jr. drew essentially that. This is truly the live-action version of it, uh, and it comes from uh, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear, five-issue uh, series written by Frank Miller in the late 90s. 
really, really good Daredevil story. It might be the best Daredevil story. It's his origin, and it's told in a really great way. Plus, you got that great John Romita Jr. artwork. And this was his first outfit that he put on when he decided to be Daredevil. And obviously later he graduates to the yellow and... and um, what is it? Yellow and like purple? It's, it's no, it's it's still it has scarlet in it. It's still it red. Have some scarlet, but then yeah, yeah, yellow like and the, red, and then it goes like the, all red. the gloves and the boots, okay. and I think the underwear are are scarlet. But then he goes all all red um, with his. Now, final. what's the difference between scarlet and red? Um, nothing. I was just changing the words so that I wasn't saying scarlet over and over again. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. But yeah, um, it, it, it's interesting looking. I'd like to see uh, the tradi- traditional I, Daredevil. That's funny. Hey, I'm wearing I'm wearing a Daredevil are, T-shirt tonight. Um, I'd like to see the traditional Daredevil uniform, or even the the yellow and red one. Um, the, I think that would be interesting. But this one, I mean, there's there's little that you can really tell from it. it. Seems, it's interesting. That's about it. I agree. It, it seems like they're kind of building their way up to it. I think the first shot that you saw was him as Matt Murdock. Now you're seeing a shot of him in his very first Daredevil costume. I bet you anything the next shot you see is the yellow and, and scarlet Daredevil. And then after that, we'll see the full-blown red costume. Uh, that seems to be kind of the way that we're going. And that's okay, I guess. Uh, my question is, how long is he going to be in this outfit? Like, how many episodes? Yeah, I, I really... Just the first episode? I now? hope just the first, because to be very honest, you know, all black, not really all that interesting looking. It's really not. So, I mean, it, it's an interesting place to start. It, it but could work give me like, a scene, right? Yeah. Give, give, or even give me a, uh, an episode and a half. But then let's graduate and go. I do like that there are no eyes in the mask. It's just the big black bandana right. completely covering his eyes. Because even the regular Daredevil mask has eyes. They're covered, but they're molded on there. Yeah, right. But I like this, just nothing. Do we think that this is kind of similar to the Affleck mask that had the chin exposed? In the No? Do it. Similar to it? Yeah, I mean, I just have that. No. But. Well, the Affleck mask had the eyes molded into it. I mean, the fact that it only covers the top half of his head, no, um, there's there's nothing that covers, like, that wrap like the around. side of his face. Kind of like you know, how Batman's yeah, mask like is. It like swimmer's cap, almost. Yeah, yeah. And it came a, down long, far. a long swimmer's cap. Yeah. <laughs> From what I remember. Swimmer's stocking. Yeah. Swimmer's stocking cap. From what I remember, there was a little bit of criticism with the way that Affleck's Daredevil mask fit him because it was just like a, a stocking cap. Yeah, it was it was kind of a dumb version. And it makes sense here as kind of his first version of it, but, but the the one in the in the film just didn't work. It really didn't. Um, I think it deviated. I hate when costumes deviate for no reason in films. Um, actually, now you bring it up, Ian, <laughs> maybe you're right. Maybe Now, is his nose totally covered in the, um, in this new one? Yeah, so that's a big difference. And at, you know, in this original image, you're not seeing any horns or anything like that. Um, right. I, you know, after looking side by side, I like this new ninja version. Simple, scaled down. 
if they carry some of that over into the final version of the suit, I think I'll be okay yeah. with that. I think we'll see Kingpin next. What do you think the next teaser image will be? Do make sauce predictions. Do we know what who Rosario Dawson will play? Do we know if she will be Echo or not? Hopefully Typhoid Mary. That's a, that's another choice. Did, did they say who she's going to be? Or? I haven't heard anything. Okay. Um, maybe Foggy Nelson? I don't think I, she'll be Foggy Nelson. No, no, I mean, that's maybe that's who we will see next in the, like, photos. Well, that's what I'm saying. But that might be who... That It's an easy thing to, I, I don't know to bring if, out there. I don't know if we're going to go backwards. I, you know, we saw yeah. uh, kind of like um, well, practice, um, practice Daredevil. Let What's next? Maybe Kingpin? Isn't... Uh, in regular comic continuity, Echo's more of a recent Daredevil edition, right? Yeah, true. So to get but, started, wouldn't you think they'd use an older Daredevil character for Rosario I mean, Dawson? Not necessarily. I mean, um... I, I think that she kind of fits the uh, uh, sort of the ethnicity of that character, uh, the physicality. I think that she could play a superheroine type. What ethnicity role. is Rosario Dawson? She's Puerto Rican, and Echo is Native American. Okay, and it's similar, like okay. I said, not exact, but similar. And I think that they can cast her as that. So, right. okay. um, so that Puerto Rican and Native American are quite close. I said similar. I didn't say the same. So, um, I mean, they could go classic, but uh, Matt suggested Typhoid Mary. I don't know what nationality um, or, or, or ethnicity Typhoid Mary is. I have no idea. She's just always like painted white, right? Kind of, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But that's, I mean, that's that's just my thinking behind why she was cast um, because she fits that character. I think. Um, who do you think, Paul? Who do you think she would be? Do you think that they'd do Electra and have her be that? No, I think Electra's too big a character to be stuffed into Daredevil as a supporting character. I think they'd want to bring in someone, someone big, like maybe as a super huge Easter egg. Like, hey, this is our next series. I agree with that. Jennifer so, Garner, maybe. Yeah, which is with do those we big sexy ears? Uh, mm. But that's why I think that a smaller character like Echo would be a fit for Rosario Dawson because it's still somebody that could be a villain. I don't know the characters though, so I, I, don't, I don't, think, don't even know who should be. I don't think Rosario, Rosario, how do you Rosario? say Rosario, 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 Ro- Rosario, Rosario, Rosario Dawson. Exhaust I don't think she's exactly podcast. small potatoes here. I think she's pretty legit actress, and I think that she could be. In Electro, yeah, I don't, I don't see why she couldn't be. But I also think that I think we're giving short shrift to Echo as a character as well. One of my favorite newer additions to the Marvel universe back in the early two thousands. Really enjoyable storyline that uh, I think it was was it David Mack was writing at the time. Mm -hmm. Joe Q was on art, um, and some right after. I think David Mack was was. Writing and drawing, I, I he transitioned right. I, the 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 issue that I'm thinking of, Joe Q definitely drew it. Did he draw David Mack issues? I thought he only did a couple the, of them. The nine Kevin. Stone no, no, no. He he kept Kevin. going. A couple of did he couple, really? Yeah, a few oh, later okay. after after the Guardian Devil arc. But then David Mack did take over and do art and writing. Now David Mack is the creator of uh, another indie character. Is he, is he the she creator? 
Is that his character? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I like that character. I think that it has a place in the universe, and especially if they're going to set up and, and not want to introduce a heavy hitter like Elektra, they already are going to have the kingpin. They don't want to bring Bullseye in yet, clearly. I think that Echo is a logical choice in this first season where we're experimenting with things and we don't want to show all of our cards. He did Kabuki. I'm sorry. Kabuki. Okay. So, what have you gentlemen been reading lately? Ian, I think you uh, took your work day today to read an entire series of a comic book. Horror-related... Finally, really breaking into some of the horror aspects of the Halloween podcast. It was an extremely slow day at work today. I read Nailbiter. The Images first, Nailbiter. Images first nail, Nailbiter, the first arc of that series um, at work on my phone. I also read Cutter, which is a Top Cow image product. Looks like a horror book. Oh, black and white amount. Uh, and you should be because it was, um, it's a, about a, uh, popular girl from, you know, homecoming queen that comes back from the dead to extract revenge on by cutting old people. schoolmates by cutting. It's black and white. The, uh, the plot is, is thin. The, it's not extremely scary. Um, would not recommend Cutter. By image, I I thumbed through that actually just today yeah. on the rack and uh, you were at the comic shop today. I went at lunchtime. Yeah, I. So funny story. I you were at the office today. I at lunchtime I went over to the mall because I had to get new shoes. Well, oh, to the mills. Yeah, and um, yeah. So I I decided to wear my Joker shoes today to work. My, my Converse, like, joke DC Comics, Joker-themed shoes. I was riding high from our... Why did you have to wear those today? Well, because was, those are not work-appropriate for a Monday. Uh, well, I can wear jeans because I you donated to the United Way. So I can wear, like, tennis shoes with that, right? I, don't think I bet you didn't donate. Is that right, Paul? I did donate. Uh, I'm sure you but didn't. But I don't, think it, I don't think heart. it extends to... Novelty tennis shoes. I wouldn't. No, say no, no. I don't do anything out of the kindness of my heart. This was purely to wear jeans for like three months. <laughs> now, she I'm, went sorry, to the comic shop. I'm sorry that my clothing offends your uh, your your work sensibilities. Your work sensibilities. when you decide to show up to work. Yeah, when you actually decide to show up into the office. But today, I was wearing my Joker shoes. My Joker shoes had been had gotten some water damage because I had them stored near my hot water heater and they le- it leaked all over them and they got kind of like waterlogged and everything. I was kind of like, well, in a last ditch effort, I'm going to wash them. I'm going to put them in the washing machine, wash them, see what happens. I put them on today. Yeah, they're okay. But then like I started walking in them and then they started like ripping to the point where I felt like I was like barf from space balls with it. <laughs> if you remember the way his feet came out of his shoes, um, that's what my feet were doing to my shoes. So I was like, you know what, I'm going over to Journey's today. I'm going to get a cool new pair of shoes. 
because uh, these are literally falling off of my feet. At first, I thought you were referencing Barth from You Can't Do That on Television. Barth? No. So uh, I got there. I got the. Do you want to see my new shoes? I know this isn't great radio, but we'll put a picture. It's terrible radio, but you know. These are my new shoes. They're they're zombie shoes. Zombie Converse. Very fancy. Is all brains Brains. or intestines? I think it's brains. Um, Very fancy. Very very fancy. I think they're beautiful. They're very uh, appropriate for this horror spooky spooky podcast. Um, All about 90s comic porn. Oh, whatever. But um, while I was at the mall, bringing it back, I, I, I did go into the comic book store, and I, and I did pick up a few things, because I wasn't able to make it to the comic book store last week, because I was battling an illness known as pneumonia. And uh, so I noticed this comic book cutter by Top Cow Studios. Right. And I could not believe how ugly it was. I hated it. I was, like, angry when I picked... Because I'm like, how does somebody like this have a job in comics? I was drawn in by the cover to that. The first issue and the second issue were also um, things that were recommended. So I was like, oh, this is something new that's on Comixology. I'm going to check it out. And I started reading it. And just everything about it from the the art style was just some very plain, simplistic black and white stuff to the story, which was really simple, really easy to figure out, not very spooky, no twist, not not really anything that I could recommend with with cutter so i was um I was a little disappointed with that, but then I did move on, and i I picked up. The final thing, well, I was really happy with Nailbiter, and I read that for most mm-hmm. of the day. But the final thing that I picked up was Witches, which is a Scott Snyder and Jock um, comic book. It's a story about ancient evil waiting in the woods. It's about witches. It's not your typical witches, not brooms and pointy hats. They're like ancient tree beings, and they have great power. They can provide you with anything that you desire, but it's for a price. The witches are hungry. They need you to feed them. So I think I was going to get this until you just described that. Yeah. Well, you yeah. never like my descriptions of anything. So they they need you to provide them with with. You lost me at tree beings. Yeah. Yeah. What you wanted them to be brooms and witches. witches. Well, it's not witches at all. It's not like that. There there are these tree things that that settles that. Well, I think that you should still you should still read it. You know what? It's a Scott Snyder book. If it's a six issue run, it'll probably be it'll probably be great for four issues. Because Scott Snyder is not a finisher. What you have to do to satisfy these witches, you have to um, you have to nominate somebody and take them to the witch so that they can basically eat them. Paul just nominated Matt. How dare you? After the sterling performance that he put up yesterday gonna give him up like that we don't need to be friends anymore <laughs> podcast debates over but the main story is a um, a girl that moved to this new neighborhood who was trying to escape these witches that she accidentally sacrificed this bully to and now it's kind of following her family and haunting her and uh, she's known in her new school as somebody that that she's she's somebody that killed another girl and the witches in these books are um, People think of the 
the people that are sacrificing things and receiving these gifts as the witches, not the actual beings that are the witches. Um, I really enjoyed the art. I enjoyed the story. And the best part about this is the personal story that Scott Snyder has at the very end. He has a section, maybe uh, three or four pages, where he talks about his inspiration for this book. And when he was a kid going through the woods of Pennsylvania and him and his buddy were hunting witches and trying to find spooky haunted things in the woods and his experience with going back recently in the past couple years going back to the same wooded area and seeing some creepy things that scared the shit out of him as a grown adult take some pictures of the wooded area just to kind of give you a sense of you know what what freaked him out what creeped him out thinking that he saw you know, knowing well that he didn't see this, but thinking that he saw something peer out from the trees. And um, just a general feeling of, you know, in the daylight, things that can haunt you and scare you and spook you. So I think that that end part, the, the last part of the book where Scott Snyder tells you about his inspiration for this book, for me, really made this book. So, Paul, don't read the book. Read Scott Snyder's synopsis of it. That's one of the books that I picked up today, Ian. I am really excited to read it. I think it sounds really good. I I enjoyed it thoroughly. Paul may have a different idea. It's not it's not witches. They're not there's no buddy riding around with warts on their nose and pointy hats and cauldrons and anything. It doesn't need to be classic cartoon witches. It can be any variety of witches. I would say... Tree people. I, I'd say expand your mind, broaden your horizons. Check it out. Maybe you'll Paul like is it. a little um, down right now on Zach, or on um, Scott, Scott Snyder. Snyder because of his recent um, writing output on, on Batman. Uh, the story is, is Also, getting, The Wake finished like shit. Well, there's that too. Yeah, but the writing on Batman has completely gone off the rails. You said he's not a finisher, but he's he can start he's off. He's a starter. He's a starter. Check out the beginning. Maybe you'll be excited for it. Paul, have you read anything recently? I finished the Lock and Key series. Uh, how many How many uh, series was that? Six hardbacks, punctuated by beer. Um, I don't know how many issues it was. I just I just got the hardbacks for it. Um, but goddamn, probably best horror story that I've read in a long time. Comic book or story? Story. Um, I'll say I'll say comic book because it is a comic book written by Joe Hill. Written by Joe Hill, the son of son of Stephen King. Apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, doesn't um, sharply. And it never does. Uh, is it Gabriel Rodriguez, the illustrator? Even. Even draws a character that looks awfully like Stephen King. It is Gabriel Rodriguez. in the last uh, in the last book, but uh, like every this book delivered on everything I wanted it to deliver on from start to finish. Strong start, strong finish. Um, in a way, it's like the Harry Potter series where there are things set up early in the run of the book that have huge payoffs late in the series stuff that you've forgotten about that is able to surprise you toward the end where you're like oh shit the fucking animal key there's genuine dread in lock and key as well 
you don't know who's going to make it out. They kill a lot of people throughout the series. Lock and, yeah, Lock and Key is not a children's series. It's an adult book. There's swearing, there's nudity. It'd be perfect for DC Comics, wouldn't it? It would. There's there, an adult-themed yeah. comic book. That's what Lock we like. I'm pretty sure that Cherry is published by DC Comics, now that I think about it. Yeah, Lock and, Lock and Key was, was really Diesel on And they set up things like... Like Harry Potter does, you know, you enter one of the Harry Potter books and you learn about some artifact or spell in the beginning of the book that's clearly going to pay dividends in the end of the book. But they don't hit you over the head with it either, though. No, and Lock and Key is even more subtle with it, where there's stuff that happens in, like, the second trade, and it's just real quick and gone, and then it's, like, the turning point of some of the final plot points. You're like, holy shit. And everything... Between the present day, the present day kids learning how to deal with all these different keys and the supernatural elements and what to do with them fits in so intricately with their dad who went through the same learning process with these keys and even had a a more knowledgeable experience with all the keys and they had more time with him and his friends to learn what each key did and use them in unison with each other. But you get to see the mistakes that they make yeah, with those and it's keys. Such and an, it's such an intricate story. Like I, I couldn't imagine laying this out so that when when you say intricate, confusing is it confusing? Easy to follow? It's easy to follow. It's not confusing at all. But there's there's so many, and that's that's the beauty of it. There's so many. It's like it's like a, a, a Swiss watch. There's so many moving parts that all work so well. Together and you're not lost at any point. Gotcha. Um, there's there's a point at the at the very end where, and I won't give anything away, but I was like, "What the fuck just happened?" And I had to call, I had to text a couple people to to be like, "Hey, what what just, what did I just fucking read?" Which Doc- I'd, I'd like to say that I didn't receive any of these texts, and I have read Lock and Key, so I'm deeply I offended. I didn't know you finished the whole thing. I finished I didn't know that. And then, uh, then two days later, I was thinking about it, and it fucking hit me, and I was like, oh my god, this is a genius. So, um, yeah, and it's it's grisly. There's just blood and murder and just horror elements. There's, you know... Chicks in uh, bra and panties that Ian's pulling up on the old iPad. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's so good. I really want to read it. I really do. I, I just you know how it is. There's so many things you want to read. You got to prioritize and somehow figure out a way to get to it. But I honestly would say drop everything you're reading, Matt, <laughs> and and pick. I'm, I'm, you will love this series of books. Okay. I mean, like there's there's even um, the Sort of like Calvin and Hobbes inspired issues where uh, yeah, they, yeah. where they yeah, have I forgot the, about those. Yeah, where you they might have, have convinced me right there. Okay. I might be checking this out. So tonight. I mean, I'm, I'm serious, man. I have them all on Comicsology. I blazed through these things, and I got to a point where it was right before the final book was was released, and I thought that, I thought it was all done, and I was going to be able to read the whole story. All in one night, and I had to wait like two months, and I was super yeah, once, fucking pissed. Once I sat down with one of the books, I had to blaze through the entire thing. There was there was no waiting, and um, 
Oh, I forgot the point I was just going to make. Well, wait, when did the series finish? Recently. I want to say, um, I don't know off the top of my head, but within the last six months oh, it, wow. it finished. And I think I started over, maybe over Christmas, somewhere okay. around there. I started reading and I was like, oh, because Paul had been talking about it for right, a while. Right. That he wanted to pick it up. And one day... I think they might have had a sale on comicsology right. for the trades, and I start. I started with one. I was like, the art is really, really interesting. It's really, cr- it's really clean, detailed. clean, crisp. Um, it almost has a cartoony look to it, which doesn't exactly fit with the description of the story, which is an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, but it but it works just the same. Right, that's cool. I like that. And if you're into world building. Like we are. Joe Hill puts together the mythology. I like world building too. Joe Hill puts together the mythology of this world that they've this world that they live in from the early eighteen hundreds when these rings when these rings when these keys had start to start started to be created. Yeah. Too much green lantern on the brain. <laughs> I know. Like the the mythology of it, it, it all ties together. It's so real. It's so rich. It's a world you can step right into. All the science works. And, and the, the ending is totally satisfying. I was happy with it. Absolutely. Was very cool. And it, it's, it's the sign of a great series or a great novel when you close that book and you say, I don't think that I want any more. I love that ride. Yeah, yeah. I'm done. Yeah. That's how I felt with Preacher. I was done. Yeah. The same Because it tells a beginning to end story. Why the last man finished. That's it. That's the end of the story. I'm not going to talk to you about this, Ian, but the Harry Potter series, a lot of people hate the way that that ended. You know, great ride the entire way, but then you have this ending, particularly the the, uh, epilogue with, like, older versions of Harry Potter, and, and it was just bizarre. Maybe it was particularly bizarre in the film. Was it bizarre for you? Well, in the movie it was, because they got these, like, early 20-something actors, maybe not even in their early 20s yet, I don't know, acting like 40-year-old characters with a couple prosthetics and some makeup. With some mustaches. And and, and, and fake fake mustaches. Uh, And it it looked like this... Some gray at the temples. Weird dress-up. I mean, they they just didn't look right, you know? And, And maybe that's what really sucked me out of it, but... I never read that that final book. Maybe it, 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 in the context of the book, it was an okay sequence, but seeing it on film, it wasn't. And that and that was such a great ride. But you get to the very end, and instead of like a double loop de loop, you get like just straight and slow. Well, that's a that's a movie issue, not a story. Is it so? It was good in the book. It's the same thing, but when you read the book, you're not chained. To young Daniel Radcliffe with fake gray hair. You you create that person in right, your head. Right, I understand, I understand that. that but so it was good in the book. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's same thing happens in the book as in the but movie. But it wasn't so good if, in it's, the movie. if it's a plot point that you have trouble with, you're not going to like. It. But if it's strictly a these kids don't look good as adults, well, prosthetics I thing, then it'll be different. I think me and anyone else that has working eyes had a problem with the way it looked in the movie. I, I think that it just looked bad. I think they would have been best served to maybe leave that part out of the films, just because that would have, it was tricky to pull off and they didn't do it. But... I'm not sure that I necessarily need, like, fast-forward 20 years or whatever just to make it 
make me know that everything's fine with Harry Potter way down the road. Like, no. You know, when Star Wars ended, we don't know what happens 20 years later. Guess what? 20 years later, we get to find out. (laughs) But, um, But anyway, the point I'm making is Sometimes you have that that great that great read, and the ending just doesn't pay off. Especially for like a grander scope story like Lock and Key. I have a question for you guys. You guys are big time readers and, and lovers of novels and comic books. Do you go back to certain things that you've read? You know, each year. Do you do you have like a habit where you're like. I'm going to read this this book again because I love it, or I'm going to revisit this series because I love it. Do you do that with the things that you really are into? I do. Uh, they're a little more seasonally re- related, yeah. Like, and they tend to be like more like kid stuff. Like, yeah. Sometimes I'll read uh, at Halloween. I always like to read like the the great Garfield Halloween Adventure. I have that book and. I, I love it. Like at Christmas time, I'll pull out a few like Christmas style books. Particularly, I really like to read like the December comic strips from Calvin and Hobbes, and read all those like Santa Claus letters to Santa Claus that he would write. And I think those are my absolute favorite um, comic strips. Like the most magical and just sort of like maybe the funniest too. I always go back and read the Boondocks. Uh, ones where they're trying to write to Santa Claus every year. Uh-huh. I think those are, are really fun. Um, every year I go back and read Preacher. So that's something that I revisit all the time. But I've heard people that are like, once I read a book, I'm done with the book. I might as well just sell it to somebody or you know throw it away because I'm never going to go back. And I always feel like that's such a shallow view of... Yeah, it can know, be. I've, I've reread uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid before. Yeah. Um, I've reread other like novels too, uh, some from when I was a teen to an adult. Um, I've listened to audiobooks more than once. So yeah, I mean, like I don't make it a habit because there's always new shit that you yeah. want to check out. But yeah, I've done it. Paul. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Cool. Cool. What's um, what I like to go back and reread is Stephen King's It. Because I first read it when I was a teenager, and um, when I first read it, all the you know the it is pretty much split into two separate stories. It's how the main characters deal with this monster as teenagers, and then it's how they go back and face them as adults. So reading that book as a teenager is like reading a totally different book when you read it as an adult. And uh, you know, going back, I don't read it every year. It's maybe. Maybe once, once every five or so years, um, but are each you time, due, are you due for a read? Yeah, yeah. Each time, it's always a little bit different. I've never read it the full way through. Yeah, terrible, right. ending, on, terrible ending. That's awful. <laughs> I have it on audiobook, but this is the problem that I have. A lot of the times, I'll listen to audiobooks before I go to bed, I'm oh, getting ready for sleep, and I get fucking scared. I can't look at it on my phone. It's too scary. I had, I had the paperback of it first and the the cover of the paperback was Tim Curry as Pennywise and I had to keep it face down in my room and it was the only book that scared me enough that every like I'd I'd maybe read a chapter or so before bed and I'd put it face down because I don't want that looking at me then I'd turn out the light 
And I'd have to turn the light back on and scan the room mm-hmm. because I'd have some weird... I'd just be fucking scared that something was standing at the foot of the bed yeah. waiting to get me once the lights now, went out. Um, how do you compare the book to the to the miniseries that they did, the, the TV miniseries? I like them both a lot for different reasons. I haven't seen the miniseries in a long time. I'm sure I'd go back now and... A lot of the effects would be pretty Feel rough. Dated, yeah. Like when uh, when all the shower heads come out of the wall and the um, and the gym, the locker yeah. room shower, and Pennywise comes out of the floor. Was that at the end of the the first act? It was in the first act. Yeah, um, I'm sure stuff would look pretty rough at this right. point. Right, but all the, I thought all the actors were great. I thought the casting was great. Mm-hmm. Um, all the stuff between. Um, John Boy Walton's uh, Bill Denbro and and his wife was you know really touching throughout the entire. And story. I think Tim Curry really, you know, oh, he was amazing. really the driving force behind making Tim Curry's Pennywise amazing so and everything scary. he does except that video game. Oh yeah, when he's gonna conquer spice. Uh, I don't know that. Yeah, Tim, Tim Curry. <laughs> we'll show it for you. I think you guys have you guys have talked about I'll it. Show it to you Tim Curry made Pennywise more iconic than the actual character in the books. Like I don't think there would be a band named Pennywise based just on the book unless Tim Curry made that character more than what it was. And in my head, when I'm when I'm listening to the audiobook and they're doing the Pennywise, that's Tim Curry for me. So, and I've only watched little snippets of the of the miniseries. So, um, so man, I had a point. I'm sorry. No, 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 that's all right. Uh, what was I t- going to talk about? Something with uh, spice. No, something with oh Tim Curry. I, I just wanted to say that I, in oh, my opinion, maybe not. No, I was oh. making my point that I just remembered, and then you started interrupting. Let so, me let me correct oh, my error first. Oh, go ahead. Pennywise the band was founded in '88. The miniseries wasn't until '90. Oh, oh, my oh. apologies to Pennywise the band. I guess they read the book and really were still affected by it. I guess so. I'm an asshole. Maybe, maybe they were more uh, affected by Tim Curry's performance in Clue, which personally I feel is his best performance ever. I, I agree. Clue the movie, amazing it movie. Really is. Great drinking game. Anytime they say, you know, any of the characters' names, take a drink, you'll be hammered in a half an hour. So, uh, I've been reading some... Are you done with what you've been reading, Paul? Yeah, Lock and Key. Amazing. All right. Now, I have a a little stack here, actually, of some stuff that I've been reading. A lot of new things. um, A lot of Image Comics mixed in there. Uh, What I wanted to start with was probably my least favorite. I I read the first issue, um, I don't know, a couple months ago, and then I went ahead and read the next two issues of... Uh, Supreme Blue Rose, which uh, I believe is some kind of extension of the Supreme character that was established in the Image universe. Um, I'm not exactly sure how Supreme fits into it, because Supreme is the Image comics version of Superman. 
Uh, Alan Moore did a legendary run on the character when Rob Liefeld moved his property over to Awesome Comics for a short while. What a name. After he got kind of, like, booted out of Image, and then I think after a while, like, once Jim Lee left, everybody kind of made up and brought Rob Liefeld back into the fold. Um, So Supreme is still an Image character, but this Blue Rose, I don't really know. All I know is that somehow it's very... Uh, faintly or subtly or or maybe just not apparent yet but related to Supreme. So far the story focuses on this girl who has these like really bizarre dreams. And let me just tell you anything that you've ever read by like Grant Morrison that was really kind of weird and confusing and you didn't really understand it and it just kind of annoyed you is like multiplied by 10 in this. This is written by Warren Ellis who ain't that far away from from Grant Morrison in terms of weirdness. You know, these are the kind of guys that probably dropped a little too much acid back in the 70s, and now we're paying for it with their weird-ass stories. They're capable of writing good things, don't get me wrong. Warren Ellis wrote my favorite Wolverine story ever in um, Not Dead Yet, the four-parter with art by Lionel Francis Yu. It was my first introduction to that artist back in the 90s. Or maybe it was early 2000s, I don't know. But it was really good. If you guys want to read a really good, more classic Daredevil or Wolverine story, um, not dead yet. Four-parter, really good. Uh, This story, I love, love the artwork. It's got like this kind of Mike Allred kind of style to it, but it looks more like it was drawn with charcoal almost. And, and it's very, very artistic. A lot of it takes place in these dream worlds, like these bizarre dreams that you might have where, you know, like you meet a guy, but he's got like a horse head and, and it, you just kind of like roll with it. But it's so hard to immerse yourself in the world because you don't know like what is dream and what's not. So after three issues, I'm still waiting for it to make sense. I'm still mildly captivated because of the association with Supreme, even though there hasn't been one yet. How many more issues until you're out? I don't know. Maybe two more? Maybe go like a, a full arc? I don't know. I I want to like it. I really want to like it. Because it's got beautiful artwork. There's nothing quite like it, honestly, like that I've seen. Um, but moving on, uh, I, I wouldn't say that I would recommend it, but for my own curiosity, I, I have to recommend I keep... Maybe getting one or two more. Um, another thing that I read uh, is the the super anticipated return of the little depressed boy. Dun, dun, He's dun. finally back after uh, I think a year plus hiatus. An appropriate Halloween book because it's scary bad. Mm. Your face is scary bad. <laughs> oh, this is uh, a return to greatness. Same creative team. Uh, you have um, Stephen uh, or Sean Stephen Struble on writing duties. Uh, he also like colors and letters the book, and then you have Cena Grace who pencils and inks it. Um, and it's it's a it's a new number one, and the the sub title is um, supposed to be there too. I don't know what that means. Um, and I don't know why they rebooted it, but I even went to Sean Stephen Struble on Twitter. I saw that. And I said, I hate when people relaunch comics, and 
he was very polite and he said, well, you know, I kind of wanted it to be number 17 as well, but we felt because we had this big hiatus, it kind of made sense. And I said, well, I don't think the, the Hellboy numbering system works for LDB because it's one big cohesive story that doesn't really have a breaking point except in that it took a long time for the next issue to come out. Matt Cassell, not just condescending with co-podcasts, condescending with real creators. I saw that you were having a Twitter conversation with him the other day. And that I was, was like... nice. I was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> I was oh, nice. Oh, goodness. What, was I rude? You weren't rude. I'm looking at the conversation. No, you weren't rude. The Twitter version of the awkward shoulder brush with no, celebrity. No, no. This was... I've been exposed to some celebrities late, like... You've exposed yourself later. to celebrities? Yes, I have. And they like it. So... Look at that finely quaffed penis. Another book uh, I decided... Uh, Cost cutters. Going, Corona. Going back to uh, an earlier <laughs> conversation we had in the show tonight, oh, I read Lobo. the new Lobo. Lobo. Um, not bad. Uh, not a huge fan of the, the new Lobo killing off the, um, the existing Lobo that we all know and love in the very first page of the comic book, essentially insinuating that the original Lobo that we all knew and loved was some kind of imposter, and he's literally beheaded and killed. I don't like this new, new young hip the Robert, Lobo, the Robert Pattinson Lobo. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I he looks like he's a vampire, and chicks would swoon. I to don't him. understand why DC is doing this because DC introduced this Lobo, fans ripped them a new asshole. But DC just keeps trying right. to push this new Lobo. They're like, no, no, no. Here's this new series. Look, he's really a badass. He's not just pretty. And fans are still like, we want the old guy. We yeah, want the I old mean, one. Like, isn't part of Lobo's shtick that he was space biker? Like, that was part of the biker, thing that right. he did. It was, it was and endearing now he's in like a way. space Space now, pretty vampire. Now, this Lobo is still a badass. I mean, he might not look like it as much, but um, he's he's like a top assassin, bounty hunter guy, and, and he takes on a, a contract. But he to, has like a, a vest with a high collar. Yeah, I guess he does. Yeah, a little bit. Is it, so he yeah. takes on... The, the gist of the story is he takes on this contract to essentially... Um, kill, like, I think it's like nine different, like, assassins from across the galaxy that are all hired to kill this one individual. And he's basically hired to protect this person against these assassins. Sounds kind of like a cool story. I'm going to see where it goes. I didn't hate this issue. I thought it was okay. Who's the so, writer? Bun? Cullen Bun! There you go. He's writing a hell of a Sinestro book these days. <clears throat> It wasn't a bad issue. It's worth a look if you're into that kind of thing. It's kind of like the space kind of gritty world. Um, Lobo's got some cool weapons. He's clearly a violent character. Super sexy. And he's super sexy. Moving on, I got two more things that I read. I like Lobo being not sexy. I like Lobo being just... I agree. Big, I agree. I missed, dirty, I missed the real Lobo. Filthy. Let's give this at least a fair shake. All right. So uh, the next thing that I read is a comic book by Image Comics, believe it or not, called Wayward. 
Um, it is written by Jim Zub. I don't know if that means anything to you. And, and the line art is by a guy named Steve Cummings. Line art? Does that mean it's a black and white book? No, it's... it's uh, I don't think it's inked, though. Um, they kind of let the colors do the... Kind of the tones. I, I think I can do the talking for Paul and say that he's out. He needs on some Lobo. ink. Um, no, on the one you're describing right Actually, now. Actually, Wayward is a really pretty book. And, and the premise of Wayward, and I really, really liked this one. It's about a girl who is of uh, Irish and Japanese descent. Her parents divorced. She had lived in Ireland her whole life, but that didn't work out with her dad once her parents divorced, so she moved to Japan, where her mom now lives. And as soon as she gets to Japan, she's trying to adapt. Now, this is a girl that can speak both languages, English and Japanese, so she's not a complete fish out of water, even though this is her first time to Japan. But while she's there, she starts to realize that she's being followed by cats and that she's got some kind of like magical powers and it seems to me like they're trying to pull in like a lot of Japanese uh, lore and Japanese like myth and mixed with like some modern storytelling styles. This and is a really pretty book. It, it does look really it's good. It's really cool. It's got a great setting. It's you know right in the heart of Japan. It's in Tokyo. Uh, if you're into that kind of thing, they even have at the end like in you were talking about with witches it had like kind of right up on the inspiration for it well the artist of this seems like he's he lives in japan even though i believe he's an american or maybe he's irish i don't know but i don't think he's actually japanese and um they give you like some history on some of like the kinds of characters you might see where they originate from paul rolls his eyes good and lobo not uh, what you're currently talking about all right so Ian seems interested. Take that home, read it, see what you think. Last thing that I want to talk about, because this is my favorite thing that I read in the last couple weeks, this is Gotham Academy. I don't know if either of you guys oh, checked I heard it out. About that. It's written by Becky Cloonan with art by what's that? Fletcher, uh, Brendan Fletcher. No, 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 I'm sorry. Isn't Becky Cloonan the artist? Becky Cloonan and Brendan Fletcher are the writers, and art by Carl Kershaw. Now, um, the art is absolutely gorgeous in this comic yeah, book. Carl Kershaw hooks some shit up. And, I mean, it is phenomenal. This is basically Harry Potter set in Gotham. Take the magic out, put Batman mythology in. It's fucking amazing. I don't know what else I need to say about it. The characters are cool. Um, they're, they're not overdone. Uh, it, it's got it had a particularly funny moment to it, which is sort of illustrated on the cover. Um, it seems like I'm already endeared to the characters, so I'm really, really excited about this book. I I literally put this one down, and I said out loud, I was like, "Wow!" It's funny that there's a Star Wars Rebels ad in that DC book. Yeah, I guess so. Another book with really beautiful art. This is some good stuff. I'm not familiar with this artist at all. If you want to borrow that too, but, it's um, so yeah, good. I think I, I I am gonna borrow both of these. They, they look really interesting. I'm in. I think I, Ian. I think really you might be buying both of these books after you I read might them. Be. Wayward. Mm -hmm. Wayward was really good. I'm like super happy with the stack of that I read, except for that Supreme Blue Rose. And I'm not totally writing off Supreme Blue Rose. I can't say it without stuttering, but because um, it's got the it's got the art. The art's down. You know, it's really cool. It's really stylish, and it's yeah. very unique. 
the story just needs to come together. We we need to start explaining what this dream world is in it, so that way I can have some sense of direction where this is going. The only problem I have with Supreme Blue Rose is Warren Ellis. I I, I don't like anything that he's ever written. I'm taking a look right now. You recommended that Wolverine yeah. book. I think it's on Marvel Unlimited, so I'm going to take a look. I'll and, read that for sure. Michelle. And I'm going to check that out, but nothing that he's ever written has has uh, ever How brought many, me in. Um, yeah. How many issues of Gotham Academy do you think Carl Kershaw is going to do before there's a fill-in or a brand new artist? On? I don't know. What's his track record like? I don't know, but the quality... Of his work, I give it three issues before there's a filling on it. Well, I hope not. Uh, hopefully, they had a, a substantial amount in the bag when they started. Uh, and if not, then fine, get a filling artist. Hopefully, he fills in admirably. But I really those, want- those are big shoes to fill. Uh, like this is this is a really quality book for the artwork. It's so good. It, and and you know what? And his, not his sure. style is pretty distinctive. It, it really is. You're not going to touch him with a fill-in. Yeah. In, in a way, you might want to just grab it now and enjoy what you can get out of it. I have a feeling. When I put that down, I was like, this is going to be huge. This book is going to take off. I think it's going to be so critically acclaimed. Like, I'm already seeing, like, an animated series for it. And it's so cool. They like they, they show you like a um, kind of like a map almost of, of the grounds and they give you like these little peaks and different windows like what's going on all over the, the whole campus of Gotham Academy uh, school that, that Bruce Wayne when he was a young boy attended for a short time until he got weird and dropped out but um, I, I couldn't possibly recommend it with uh, well, with a higher recommendation. It's scary how good it is. Ooh. Spooky. Felt like we went a little long tonight. But I think we enjoyed ourselves. And that's what's most important. That the three of us have a good time. I think it translates. Whenever we're having a good time, we're sending that out to the fans. And passing positive vibes. Passing the good time along. Positivity out into the world. Listeners. Time. So two two McSauce podcasts this week. The Pod Races episode and this episode 77. Uh, let us know what you think about both episodes. Drop us a line on Twitter, Facebook. Thanks for listening. My name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. Matt Cassell. See you next time. one of you. Dick.